Courtney Turner is here. Oh, excuse me, Courtney Turner is here. She has a beautiful French name. She's not just a Courtney, she's a Courtney. And she has a podcast. What's it called again? The Freedom something or other? It's called the Courtney Turner Podcast. Oh, so it's just the Courtney Turner Podcast. Okay, so it's the Courtney. Is it on um, iTunes and SoundCloud and all those things? It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Pandora, Spotify, Google Play. And yeah, I think we're going to be on iHeartRadio. We're not there yet. Oh, good. Yep. Good. Well, yeah. thanks for joining me. Thank you so, for having me. Yeah. So, um, I did your podcast last week. Now yes. you're doing mine. That's the incestuous relationship of conservative podcasters. <laughs> of course. And uh, uh, what we've known each other, I think, since t- 2015, if memory serves, when we were involved... I think it was a ambush interview of one Al Maratsuchi. Was that it? That's correct. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't remember anything beyond that than a couple <laughs> uncomfortable moments with a <clears throat> complete twat from the Manhattan Beach political system. Yes. If I remember her That's name correct. was something or other, something, something, dumb twat, something or other. Um, it's my <laughs> podcast, so I can talk that way. Um <laughs> And uh, we've been, you know, in sort of relative contact ever since as just fellow conservatives in the common, the most communist part of West L.A. Yes. And uh, so what brought you into the conservative movement and what was the inspiration? Uh, that's a really interesting question. I am not one of those people who had like a, you know, a, a red pill moment. I, I've kind of been pretty conservative most of my life. Um, however, I've had... A lot of times where I've always been, like I grew up in very liberal areas, I went to school, which was initially I didn't think it was going to be super liberal, but it turned out to be, and it got progressively more so uh, through the years. And then of course, you know, I lived in New York City, I was an actress, immersed in, you know, super left-wing kind of arena, and then moved out here, was an actress, and... We, we know this is California, so yeah, so I've always actually really tried very hard through very periods of my life to become, uh, to I guess see the other side and to become liberal because I thought my, or become a leftist because I thought my life would be easier. I, I thought that I would, you know, yeah, I just thought it would be easier. But then the more I investigated the more questions I asked I because I used to be one of those people who would say like I'm socially liberal fiscally conservative and the more research I did the more questions I asked and the more I learned the more conservative I actually became so I did take little breaks um you know I was very involved I wrote like I guess it's almost 10 years ago now I wrote for Politichex you know did interviews then um, and then I kind of took a bit of a break from politics, mostly because uh, I was in the entertainment industry and I felt like I had to really pull back. And when the lockdowns hit, I felt that one of the biggest problems with conservatives is, or people on the right in general is that they don't speak up. They, you know, they, I always use the analogy of a game of tug of war and I feel like the left will pull a little bit and then the right is like oh it's just an inch it's fine you know we'll just hold our ground here and then it's like another inch and before you know it you're 10 miles down the road and we're like what happened what happened so anyway long story not so short but during this past you know during 2020 I felt that part of the problem was that people were not speaking up and I didn't want to be part of that problem I felt that that was you know 
uh, a lack of personal integrity for me. So I started speaking my mind slowly and yeah, more and more. So and then here I am. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Yeah. And, and you hit on a really important point that I think is the core of this, which is most people who share our values are beholden to other forces for the comfort of their life. Mm-hmm. So they're more than willing to make the sacrifices here or there, those inches you talk about, and before mm-hmm. they know it, they're in the mud pit mm-hmm. because they were essentially bought off or bribed or they... I mean, it's a terrible way of putting it because it really impugns them, but they took this 30 pieces of silver yep. to stab what was most important in the back for a very short-term gain. Yeah. And now look where you are. Yeah. Yeah. So, And I, I feel that like it, so throughout so much of my life, like I said, even when I was young, when I, uh, we've had this conversation before, my dad was very conservative and he, you know, he threw Thomas Sowell books at me when I was eight years old. When I was in sixth grade, I started, I went to a strange school where there was no high school in my town. Um, so you could go to a school that was in the neighboring town, um, and it was just it, very cliche. There literally was railroad tracks. Um, the school was on the other side of the tracks. It was not safe. It was not a good education. And I had friends in other neighboring towns who went to great public high schools. And, you know, me being in fifth grade, it just didn't make sense to me why I couldn't choose to go to one of those neighboring towns. It's not like they lived closer. You know, just the way that the borders were structured, I, I just was locked out of that opportunity. Um, but it wasn't like they actually lived any closer to the school. So just in terms of how my juvenile brain was thinking, it made no sense to me at all. Like, Mom, I want to go to that school. Um, it was a much better school, and that's where my friends went. And so I you know, I had a long conversation with my father about it, and that became like something I was really passionate about. I actually started a board for school choice um, in sixth grade. You know, six years later, they actually did implement it. I, you know, had graduated. I don't know that I actually had any kind of a role in it. But I was always, you know, even on the debate team, I was always, you know, my view, just the way that I saw the world was very much in terms of the, it aligned with the right. I don't know that I always knew that, you know, when I was younger. I just knew what philosophically made sense to me. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I've definitely spent a lot of my... Um, I've spent many periods of my life silencing my views because I either wanted to work or, you know, socially I didn't want to be, you know, ostracized for it. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing, whether it's social ostracization or, or work situations, you know, people, um, you know, uh, crater their values. What's most important to you today? What? If there was one issue beyond all else, is it school choice? Is it school issues? Is it other things? Right what, now, what it would grabs be, your attention more it would than be anything else? Election integrity. Right now, I, I feel that that's the the bedrock of what makes this nation uh, a free nation is that people's voices are um, effectuated through their votes. The fact that we have the ability to vote. And for the representatives, you know, for the elected officials that we think will best represent us or hope that they will best represent us. Um, And I see that system very broken and flawed. Um, And I I don't think that's new, but I think it's definitely boiling to the surface now. There's much more transparency with regards to it. And I think that that 
until we can fix that, I don't see how moving forward we we really have a constitutional republic. Yeah, and it strikes me as I'm in agreement with you about the importance of this situation that one of the things that keeps the social compact of the civilized society in place is the grudging admission of all people that no matter what, the election was for the most part mm-hmm. uh, within the boundaries of what you'd call in general fair and square. Mm-hmm. And so even if you're stuck with a very unimp- unimpressive person from the opposite party in an elected official position, you could say to yourself, well, apparently the voters voted for this very unimpressive thing. And I'm of the opinion, and you could tell me whether this strikes you as reasonable or not, that the big red pilling that we've all received from the 2020 election, especially here in California, is exactly how or the depth and the breadth of the election fraud. It's not that there was some cheating or some shenanigans or some things that are slightly dishonest or that there's media bias or faulty education. It's that, excuse my French, these results are all bullshit. And once that happens, the concern I have, and I'm wondering what your take on this is, is that that's where you get to the point where a civil society can very easily slip into a violent society where you lose your day in day out normalcy of being able to work, play and shop, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that on so many fronts, because, you know, there there's the one uh, front where if they're blatantly if there's blatant fraud right in front of your face and they're pretty much waving it in front of your face and then telling you it doesn't matter or it doesn't exist, that's maddening. And for people to see something they know to be true and to be told it's not true, which I think, you know, the fraud is definitely one of those things that has definitely come uh, to a major head this, this year. But I think that there's so many things in 2020 that were like that. And when you have those layers of, you know, for lack of a better term, gaslighting, people become enraged because you're literally, if they weren't crazy before, you're going to make them crazy because everything they know to be true, you're telling them is not true. Um, so that's really frustrating, really infuriating. But I think then there's also uh, this, that everything about the social fabric of this country is free and fair elections. That's what, that's what makes it, you know, like I said, a constitutional republic is the fact that we do have that. Otherwise, we are no better than, you know, a, any third world nation where we know it's rigged. And if we know it's rigged, then the, I think the people feel powerless and helpless. And if people feel fa- powerless and helpless, I don't know what recourse they know except for a primal reaction. And that that is a violent reaction. Um, I certainly don't look forward to that or want that or condone that in any capacity. But if your voice is being taken away from you, if your power is being taken away from you, people need to survive. And for this republic to survive, they're, they're going to fight for it in some way. Um, so I do see that, yeah. Yeah, and, and what you're, you're talking about is the elimination of options. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not enough to write an angry letter to the city governance or Mm -hmm. write a letter to your congressman or write a letter to the media or form an activist group or you form an activist group and you're kicked off Facebook for wrong think, wrong speak or you're no longer allowed to assemble peaceably or mostly peaceably 
but the other people who have a completely different agenda right. unpeaceably are allowed to assemble. When the, me- when the media uh, pulls the wings off flies of helpless little citizens who just want to say something a little different, or the police arrest this person for going out on a surfboard on the beach or the ocean alone, but then they don't do anything about people burning down buildings and rioting and destroying even police equipment, you start to reach a, a position in, in a societal aggregate in which you've eliminated all the options other than the violent one. Yep. And then based on what we see on Capitol Hill and the response to it, you can see, whoa, that's what they wanted so that then they could have the next piece of ever-growing governmental power and regulation over you. Yep. Take their guns, take yep. away your assembly, ring the uh, the Capitol building with fencing that supposedly doesn't work at a border. Uh, have guys with guns protecting you, even though guns don't protect people like kids in school with security guards. You know, all, uh, all, all of their stuff. Percent. And then that only creates a greater inflaming and gaslighting cycle. And then cycle after cycle after cycle finally leaves the most unstable among us to react first with violence. Yep. That's a very dangerous thing indeed. Very dangerous. Yeah, I, I definitely don't, I, I don't think anybody who knows what that really means wants that. Um, so I, that that worries me greatly. Yeah, and, and I'm just as, as afraid of it on the, from the other perspective of people who say, well, let's have a civil war now, let's attack, let's do right. whatever they, because those people clearly aren't thinking through what, what happens really once you cross that threshold and go to that unthinkable option. Well, I option. think they also aren't thinking through what that really entails, because you know, where are we organized for such a thing? I don't right. think we where are Right, where are food and supply lines? Where yeah. are communications? Where do you get your water from? Where will the soldiers or the revolutionary shelter? How? Yep. I, I mean, it's, it's far different from uh, fighting the Revolutionary War, for instance, where people were very hard scrabble and, and um, provided for themselves out of the fruits of the earth sure. to begin with yep. so that it wasn't much of a chore to go... Um, uh, shoot a pheasant and cook it over a campfire. Yep. People were doing that already. Yeah. Or drinking out of a river. Yep. You know, the, people did that. No one does that anymore. Right. You right. know? No, there, there are very few people who actually know what the, the real, the meaning of the word prepping is. <laughs> you know, and there are very few people who are prepared for any kind of emergency. I and mean, we're seeing that in Texas. Like, most people just aren't prepared um, so. Yeah, you see what happened last year when they ran a little short of toilet paper. Yeah. Okay, and, and so we're expected to think that it would be a cake for those on our side who talk like this. Yeah. We're supposed to expect it to be a cakewalk if suddenly picture your neighborhood being a burnt out shell akin to like Damascus or Beirut. Right. And you think you're just going to be able to go to the 7-Eleven and get a beer that night? Oh, oh, you're a timeout in the battle. Let's go get some beer, take the night off, go back tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. These people, unfortunately, uh, you know, it, it's not it's not feasible to think that violent revolution in our society is a way that that uh, a resolution could be accomplished in any amenable way. Right. So that that's where my concern really is now, though, because I... I'm not sure. Oh, and take any water you want. I know I have like 10 of them. Um, (laughs) Eat any of them, they're good. Thank you. Um, My concern is what the path forward is because I do, if the elections are rigged, I do believe, this is my perception, is that there is a color revolution underway. 
Um, and that's a very hard thing to... Can you define color revolution yeah, really Yeah, so fast? I think that there's a, a, a an ideological subversion. I, and I think it's been a very long process that this has been un- undergoing. Um, I don't think this was overnight, but I think that this last election is certainly... Uh, the impact of it is greater and the, the, the looming threat of it is much greater. Um, so it, it, a color revolution is essentially a communist takeover, but it's not through, uh, you know, guns and uh, kinetic warfare. It's done through, and I think there's been several methodologies of warfare. You know, I think there's been psychological warfare. I think there's been definitely ideological warfare through all the major institutions, you know, the academic, the media, certainly media, the um, entertainment um, the breakdown of the family that's been occurring for decades. That yeah, corporate collusion in in uh, quasi um, cor- corrupto socialist programs in which the government and the 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 academics and the business community all sort of wind up on the same page, yep. even though they seem to have completely divergent agendas. But mm-hmm. suddenly, an oil company and a tech company wind up on the same leftist side of something, yep. and you're saying, "How did you two become bedfellows? Why is Coke?" Conspiring with Pepsi. Why is CBS News... This happened... um, Because they have a common enemy. There was that release of a video uh, from an ABC News commentary. This is a perfect example of it. uh, That O'Keefe released. Mm -hmm. Do you remember this? Talking about Bill Clinton's involvement with Jeffrey Epstein. It was like... And it was was, uh, leaked by an employee of ABC News. Mm -hmm. But then CBS News fired the employee who was supposedly working for them at the time who had done it at ABC News, right? Now, they ironically fired the wrong person. That person did not do this. Right. Um, but think about the ramifications. If you and I are competing, right. I would reward one of my employees who jacked you sure. in the past. I'd go, you jacked Co- company Courtney for company David? Okay, here's a raise. I'm not going to fire you for hurting the person your, I'm competing against. Yep. But look how CBS and ABC, which are two completely, one's Viacom CBS, right. the other is ABC Disney. And suddenly they're on the same page. Yep. And the only explanation is, oh, okay, I see where this is going. They're both part of the entertainment industry complex. They're both beholden to China. Yep. They both have the same, because China is the market all of them are targeting yes. and they want access to because they think one billion sets of eyeballs is a much bigger potential market in ascendancy than a declining 320 million eyeballs. Right. You know, oh, okay, now we see this. But, you know, that's what we're talking about yep. here is institutional uh, uh, coercion and collusion yep. on an unprecedented scale for a very odd agenda, yes. which is things that are bad for America and American consumers, yeah. not for them. Because one would think, if I'm a company, not only am I competing with you, mm-hmm. I want the American uh, customer base to be as prosperous as possible, to buy as much of my crap as possible. Right. And here, the opposite is happening. It, this is, yes, yeah. it's literally the opposite is happening. And so we're seeing these uh, international corporations and we're seeing global elitists and we're seeing CCP interests being favored over America. And that's, that, to me, is the, the major threat. And so if our elections are rigged, I don't know how... I, then I feel like we're, we're fighting two 
major fronts. We're fighting an enemy within and an external enemy. Um, and that's, those are big mountains to surmount. Yeah, now I've been thinking about this. And yeah. you, since you're a Thomas Soul girl, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know how there's soul men and soul girls. So you're a soul girl. <laughs> S O W E L L girl. Mm-hmm. I'm going to run a concept by you that I think is a little heady and see what mm-hmm. you think of it. Um, part of what makes a color revolution or a communist revolution happen mm-hmm. is the, the alterations of reality itself. And I was thought, of course, it took me back to my studies of the French Revolution, the Paris Commune, especially Pol Pot's Cambodia, in which you had the concept of year zero, Mm -hmm. meaning time has stopped. We are remaking. History starts anew. Nothing you knew before Mm -hmm. matters. We're now... uh, That's why they destroy things. They destroy statues and yeah. Yeah, among other things. Uh, Literature, works, knowledge. Kill people who... In Cambodia, they used to kill people who wore glasses under the idea that they were smarter. They might remember stuff. That's how crazy this is. But but peep this, homeboy, as they would say in in, uh, old hip-hop music. Two weeks to flatten the curve. And we're on... Looks like we were just about completing 11 months mm-hmm. of two weeks to flatten the curve. So look how that... It's a different it, version And of also, the two days that were the cutoffs yeah. were strange days. Look the the dates. Friday the 13th, March 13th, and Sunday, March 15th, the Ides of March. Yep. Weird dates in history. Also, if you know the Roman calendar, do you know what the first month is in the old Roman calendar, not the Gregorian? March. Isn't that trippy? You know, because wow. if you look at the the um, old uh, horoscope, it's the first sign is Aries in the progression of star signs. Because right. It started in March. And I thought that was such a return to primitivism. Yeah. And, and, and you know, nothing is accidental with these people. No. You find it looks, oh, I don't know what we're doing. Mass, no mass, two mass, five mass, no mass, five mass. Vaccinations, no vaccinations. Eat out, eat in. I don't know, eat out. You know, lick puss like Hillary. I don't know. You know, yeah, I can say dirty jokes on my podcast. <laughs> the point is, they act all confused, but it's all super deliberate. Oh, yeah. And so I looked at the two weeks to flatten the curve as the and those dates as the forming of the American uh, attempt at year zero and to warp time itself. Mm-hmm. Because if you warp someone's perception of time yeah. and, and life just turns into a great gray blah of every day, I'm just going to stream Tiger Joe on Netflix or Hulu this or the, uh, you know, Mayor Pete Buttigieg's uh, biography on becoming a mayor and a homosexual in the Midwest. You know, suddenly, you know, I'm not going to work. I've lost track of what day it is. I've lost track of what month it is. Right. Everything is all the same. Yep. And and uh, as communists say, the future is assured. It's the past that just keeps changing based on our narrative and meme desires for the moment. You know, so were you seeing all that stuff too? Absolutely. And it's a, in, in accordance with what, uh, what Yuri Benzimov and what he warned us. Yeah. You know, he talked about how one of the first stages is demoralization. And I, we definitely saw that last year with all of the, the Black Lives Matter agenda. Yeah, the and debasement from morality, the exactly. debasement from reality. Yep. And then once you're debased from reality, de- you feel like you're spinning, and then you get demoralized, yep. and then you can be manipulated into anything. You go into destabilization after demoralization, right? First you're demoralized, and then you're all confused, and you don't know what's real, what's not real. And then you have destabilization because you, nobody's rooted in reality. 
And if you have a destabilized society, you have chaos. And anytime you have chaos, it's a breeding ground for usurpation. Yeah, and the chaos, I would say, would be the Black Lives Matter moment. Yeah. Where suddenly for a flash over really nothing, over yep. a fentanyl addict yep. who happened to die on a, a videotape, suddenly you have this, I mean, you know, a, a, a madness uh, conflagration, uh, uh, you know, a whirlwind of, of ever-increasing rioting behavior. Uh, there's an old story out of... Um, World War II, mm-hmm. in which before the invasion by the Germans of France, mm-hmm. they would send out expeditionary forces in the Cologne and Dijon regions of um, the the French borderlands with Germany. Mm-hmm. And German men would come across the bridges and look around. Mm-hmm. And after like eight or nine at night, every night, there wasn't even one policeman, one soldier, nothing. Despite the accelerating hostilities coming out of German politicians, meaning Hitler's rhetoric about invading France. And reports came after the war. German um, uh, soldiers uh, at the time were interviewed and said, well, why'd you invade? They said, if there had been one policeman out there at night smoking a cigarette, we wouldn't have invaded But because there was absolutely no resistance whatsoever, we suddenly realized we're being invited in. Now, the analogy that I see is go back to first Minneapolis Mm -hmm. when the riots happened and they allowed a police station to be burned down. And and there was no police brutality in response. No billy clubs, no nothing. The police just said, have at boys. And they did. And then it went to another city, another city, culminating, in my opinion, because I live here, with those horrible... That horrible Saturday and Sunday in Los Angeles. First, the Fairfax district, where the police just stood there yeah. with their with their thumbs up their asses, while while buildings were burned, Jews were beaten, while synagogues were being yep. uh, 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 um, defaced and. Um, uh, desecrated, and of course the Jewish community, the rabbis didn't say anything. No. And then when the mob saw, oh, the police and the LAPD aren't doing nothing, well, Santa Monica PD will be a piece of cake. Right. And the next day went to Santa Monica and did the same. And then and it then expo- the, the Capitol, right, and where the, the ca- police literally let them in. Invited them I in. mean, they they yeah. opened up the ropes for them. It was like a scenic tour. Right now, I I leave that one as a separate incident because the Capitol ride involved. That, that to me was the, a culminating stage of, of color revolution, misinfo, disinfo. Absolutely. Because there are other factors involved. That yes. wasn't simply Black Lives Matter Antifa engaging in violence and being allowed in. No, because it looked, now you were in a destabilized yeah, state. That's a destabilized state. So what happened is the police invited people in yeah. to make sure Trump supporters went into the Capitol with the Antifa exactly. Black Lives Matter people so that they could get blamed. And I saw a video yep. where the police would open the barricades, the Antifa Black Lives Matter would go in first, then the police would charge into the uh, Trump supporters crowd, start beating them, separating them in both directions, and then a bunch of Trump people to avoid being beaten by the police who would not beat the Black Lives Matter people from six months before right. would then be fall, would go into the direction of the Capitol to get away from the Billy Club beatings. Yep. And, and then... That's the you know, ultimate destabilization. Right. And then, and then the, the Trump supporters, the real conservatives who are arrested, aren't given bail or told that they're... Or, or society is told what a flight danger, what a f- violent risk they are. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, John Sullivan, the leader and the instigator from Antifa, was not only cut 
from jail and custody without so much as bail. He's now got a book deal. He was paid by the media for his footage. I mean, he's like a protected saint. I yep. thought he was Eric Sir Chimarella from The Whistleblower from last year. He was so sacrosanct. Yep. So, you know, it's it's a complete, you know, mind fornication, if you will. Yeah. So that I think so that's the psychological warfare, uh, which there's been many layers of, as you were talking about, the misinfo, the disinfo. There's a lot of that. So I think there's been psychological warfare. There's certainly the biological warfare. There's economic warfare. Um, we're seeing that with the, the lockdowns. I think that's a huge, you know, economic assault. Um, and uh, what yeah, else? The, and, and let's just mm-hmm. stop on that point yeah. and address two other aspects of the economic warfare that are obvious. Mm-hmm. The mask mandate is simply a handout to China. Yes. Because who's making the masks that you're now required to go through? Yep. Like crazy. And then the vaccine mandate is economic warfare because now you have this oligarchical elitist, whether it's Bill Gates or the pharmaceuticals or someone, Mm -hmm. being allowed to, on the one hand, engage in a mass human drug trial experiment on live human beings, which has been their dream for decades to be able to do that, over here, while on the other hand, have the government pay for them for every dose. Yes. Yep. No, Absolutely. And it, it, it I mean, talk about crony capitalism or crony socialism. I mean, the wow. rise of the corporate state. Yeah. Yes. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And that the other thing that just I, I so the, I feel like the economic warfare has been successful because of the psychological warfare because people are so demoralized, so destabilized, and not rooted in reality, um, and they don't have any grounding. Nobody's asking any questions. Just basic common sense questions. You know, if more people were dying of bacterial pneumonia in the Spanish flu because they were wearing masks, then, and Fauci said this too. In the beginning, he talked about this. So why, why aren't people asking about that? Why are people, I mean, one of the biggest arguments I had with people in the beginning about the masks, this was before there was much, you know, research and whatnot. I said, why isn't anybody asking if there's no negative consequences of wearing a mask? You know, I'm seeing that we don't have conclusive evidence to support that the masks do much good, but which is fine if they don't do harm, right? But if they do harm, why is nobody asking about that? Yeah, and the harm was obvious because yeah. my Apple Watch tells me a few times a day, breathe, <laughs> right? Yeah. Breathing good. And, and we know just from, you know, basic high school biology, sunshine, fresh air, open spaces, those are those. Are, uh, how many often did you hear in years past? People would go to a spa to take the waters or to recuperate or right. get healthy. Yeah. Right. So I mean, think about the insanity here in Los Angeles, which is not a, a society in which the vast majority of people either live in uh, high density housing mm-hmm. or take public transportation. We had mm-hmm. the advantage of private transportation, cars, mm-hmm. and single family homes that separate us and give us more room than other places that were hit hardest, like New York and uh, Boston, places like that. And we're told in the early stages of lockdown, they're closing the beach. The one place that... (laughs) When it was already proven that it can't survive in sunlight. Right. I can guarantee every one of us, no matter how little information we had... We could guarantee that the safest place to be is alone on a big wide spit of sand in the sunshine, in mm-hmm. fresh air. And they shut that down. One would down. think. Yes. Right, one would think. Meanwhile, they were arresting people. Uh, that's right, right. I saw it right here on our beach here. Yeah. It, uh, it, it's shocking, right? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, 
During this time of viral everything, despite the orders to stay apart and do this, what does it do? Due to the hysteria, it sends everyone into the same grocery stores all at the same time to stock up on supplies because you spook the population that you won't be able to get food or ass wiped the next day. Yep. So instead of them being out here and going in in, in batches to the stores to procure uh, provisions, they all batch all at once. Right. And you know, so who's who's causing the damage here? You yeah. know, uh, like a, a perfect example is the shutting down of outdoor dining a few months ago in L.A. Oh, okay, so instead of being able to dine outdoors, which has no appreciable risk, none, right. we're all supposed to go into the same grocery store and shop? Yeah, before together. That's congregating. That's not. Well, and all of the, if you look at the flu, right, just the general flu, there's not really a flu season. Like a flu virus. There's been none. They cured it somehow. Well, yeah, they magically cured the flu. But also, this is just another kind of common sense virology 101. If you think about the flu, uh, an influenza virus does not know that it's winter versus summer, but we say there's a flu season, right? There are typically spikes. The reason for that is because people are indoors more. People aren't getting as much sunlight. They're not, like, moving around as much. They're bundled up more, so they're breathing. They're getting less oxygen, more carbon dioxide, more bacterial uh, re-breathing because they're all bundled up. Um, so that increases in the winter, and so we know it as a flu season. So all the things that cause what you would call a flu season have now been what they've mandated for you know, treatment for, you know, or uh, precautions for COVID, right? So now we have a year-round, you know, virus season of whatever, you know, COVID virus yeah. is. Yeah, and the, in the height of last summer, when cases were declining, yeah. I, it, one of the things that would have um, really alleviated the insanity is clarity of the future. Mm-hmm. So it would have been very easy for the city, for the city and government, uh, city and state governments to say something along the lines of, okay, It's April. From May to October 1st, we are going to be completely open. But we're giving you a heads up now that after October 1st, we may need to reassess. Mm -hmm. So live your life during the summer. Follow the precautions. Wash your hands and stuff. And by the way, if you notice, washing hands and not touching your face are not even said. No. Now it's take an experimental vaccine, mask up, and... uh, you well, know. And the idiocy of the whole Purell, I mean, so they, they work very differently. So people are now like loading up on 60% alcohol and that goes into your bloodstream. The, the largest organ you. we have yeah. is our skin. You're putting all of this poison chemicals and alcohol onto your skin. That works very differently than soap. Soap and water, soap has mist cells in it. So they encapsulate bacteria. And then the water washes it off. That's how soap works. So it actually washes off the bacteria. Whereas the Purell just opens up your pores and it puts toxins into it. So now you're creating other problems. And the other thing I just thought was so, uh, you know, not ha-ha funny, but all of the, because we live in California and I live in Santa Monica and 
all the hippy dippy moms who were like, no chemicals, you know, I can't use any like right, organic food, no organic, chemicals. Read the label. Yeah, those they people. rushed out and took all the bleach and Clorox off the shelf, all the Lysol, all the Purell. Like what happened to, you know, no chemicals? Yeah, what happened to not trusting these corporations? What happened to yeah. skepticism? What happened to not my body, my choice? I mean, yeah. every it really showed you that difference between them and us, which yeah. is we have principles. And we struggle to live by them. They say they have principles, but the second the wind blows in a different ideological direction based on orders they receive from on high by the, the, you know, Rachel Maddow or the LA Times or whatever, Dr. Franchi, whoever, suddenly the previous values don't even matter. I mean, remember the Americans Disability Act? You know, where, where you could sue someone if you uh, uh, tried to defecate in the handicapped uh, thing and you couldn't get your wheelchair in or something? Yep. You know, I, okay, whatever happened to... Most people uh, don't know... What, whatever it. happened to the... Uh, uh, and by the way, the ADA is actual law. It's not a dictate. So why can't I cite the ADA when I say the mask makes me lightheaded? Why can't why aren't I accommodated in your business, in a workplace? In the, why, uh, and that's the amazing thing. Everyone but us is accommodated. Yes. You know, the the person of a certain skin color who has a certain rageaholic level is accommodated because of their feelings. The the um, you know, the woman who wants to breastfeed in a workplace back in the day is accommodated. Yeah. Yeah. This person's accommodated. Where is our accommodation? No, no, executive order, you know, emergency declaration, no accommodation. I have a huge issue with uh you know, the ADA, the way they treat uh, disabilities in general. Um, first of all, most people don't even know the American Disabilities Act. When I talk about it, they tell me, I don't know, I've never heard of that, but you have to wear a mask. And I'm like, why? The mask is a mandate, it's not a law. American Disabilities Act is a law implemented in 1988. And they'll tell me they've never heard of it, they don't know what it is, and they don't care. And I, I find that, for, you know, truly repugnant yeah, read, and all you have to do is read a door label of any business it, yes. that has posted well, we accommodate all people of all things and all this and all that you know and we can't discriminate against physical uh inabilities exactly. or whatever and the other thing and the, uh, I, this really became very clear for me over you know the last year with all of the the black life matters uh virtue signaling that occurred. Um, you know, I had a, a lot of people who confronted me over not putting a square for Blackout Tuesday. And, uh, you know, it, it was a very, I, I was faced with lots of opposition over it. And, you know, my response was, I think I can do more for a cause in person, you know, than I can by virtue signaling with a black box on my Instagram. And, uh, you know, of course, I got the, the usual rhetoric that silence is violence and, you know, that it was a, uh, I, I was somehow, you know... That you weren't an ally. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but what I really thought about why the virtue signaling bothered me so much, because I knew intellectually why it bothers me, but I was viscerally really upset by it. And I really, you know, had to kind of do some soul-searching on it, because, like, why is this emotionally, viscerally upsetting me? And I realized it was because so many of the people who responded to me... Um, about not, you know, being an ally and that my silence was violence. You know, what they would throw at me was, you as a disabled person, I'm so disappointed in you. I would think, you know, I thought so much better of you. And I was like, wait a minute. So (laughs) my whole life, 
I and I, I remember this like I was mainstream my whole life. For, I for those of you who don't know, I'm a visually impaired. I'm hearing impaired. I was born with many challenges. I've never considered myself disabled. I was mainstream my whole life. I actually learned how to speak by reading lips. And I, so I never asked for accommodations. I never, n not because I just, because I wanted to overcome, you know, I wanted to function in society and I never wanted to be pitied. I never wanted special treatment. And I will never forget when I got to college and you know, it was the uh, much bigger classes and I was really struggling to hear the teacher, see the board, try and take notes at the same time. Um, and, you know, I, it had dawned on me that I'm legally entitled to a note taker. And I, I had, there was a, another person in my school who had had a note taker. She did not need it. She was in a wheelchair. Now, that's not to undermine her disability, but she had no problems taking notes. She could hear and see. That but she wasn't, was eligible. That's she was point. absolutely yeah. eligible. But they went out of their way to accommodate her. And, you know, they, they approached her for it and made sure that they accommodated her. I went and I asked, you know, I said, you know, I'd really, I'm really struggling with just hearing the teacher, seeing the board, you know, and trying to take notes at the same time. You know, I have fine graphic motor impairment, so I'm slow when it comes to writing. Um, and they said, why? You're doing fine. And I remember being so angry. I was like, well, what if I wanted to do great? Why is fine okay? Like, what if and I... Who are, and who are you to judge? I'll tell you if I'm fine. I know me. You're, yes. And, and you saw the virtue signaling of them stumbling over each other to accommodate the poor, uh, you know, uh, crippled clod in the wheelchair because yep. I could, they could see them exactly. assisting the person with the, you know, the wheels on their chair. Exactly. But you, you know, pretty Courtney, white Courtney, American Courtney. Yep. No, 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 no. You, you have all the advantages. You're, you're privileged. Yeah. How dare you even ask? Exactly. And that, that was how they made me feel. Yes. And I, I remember, I, so I realized when, you know, over this, this last year, when this was all going down, why the virtue signaling bothers me so much, because it's not actually about helping the people they purport to want to help. It's about, you know, getting notches on their moral superiority belt. Oh, oh, I, I disagree with you entirely. Of course they want to help the people they want to help. The, the, the confusion that we didn't know is that they were talking about themselves. Right. Right? They want to help themselves. Yep. So we'll virtually... But it's not the people they purport to want right. to help. That's why, yeah. like, uh, Black Lives Matter is an organization comprised of white liberal women from West L.A. Exactly. Right? And I don't know one of my black friends mm -hmm. who supports Black Lives Matter. No. Not one. And I have black friends. Yeah, of course. You know? And, 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 and most of my and, black friends find it insulting. Right. They think, yeah. they're like, what? Yep. You know, uh, I, I'm too stupid to know that if I break the law, the police are going to have a problem with me too. Right. I, I, I'm, I, you're insulting me, telling me I'm too stupid to learn math. Yep. I'm too stupid to balance my checkbook. I'm too irresponsible to show up on time. Yep. I'm too, I'm too frail to listen to a white person speak declaratively about something they know. Are you out of your mind? Yeah. But white liberal women have been thinking this way ever since white liberal women and their... And by the way, white liberal women does not refer only to those who possess vaginas. There are plenty of West L.A. white liberal women who have little peepees too, <laughs> who drink soy-based beverages, right? Yeah. You know, the, the soy boy or yeah. the soi bois, if you want to <laughs> pr pronounce it right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and how hearing impaired are you? You heard the difference between soy and swah, even did. though my lips look different, right? They did. Yeah. Yep. See, you didn't need that note taker, did you? No. Ah, <laughs> you were self-sufficient. I, I was. I was. Right. Well, I'm right here, so I, yes, I yes. can read your lips, yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I got it. Yeah. So I think that, uh, and you know, the other thing that when I think that has brought about all of this is the... Uh, demoralization we were, we were talking about but I think it's because the last pillar that is hanging on by a thread is the uh, you know that I was take, talking about how they've gone through all these institutions but I think that the religious institutions are the not that they're not trying very hard to destroy them um, but I think because the there's been such a l loss of morality um, which is why people are trying to you know, gain unearned moral superiority is because they don't actually have core values. They don't have a sense of morality anymore. And uh, I think that that's, that's a huge part of why we are where we are today. Um, and, and this is why when I, when I said earlier that, you know, I used to be socially liberal and fiscally conservative, but I realized that there, you really can't separate the two. That's why our founding fathers wove the Judeo-Christian values into our founding documents. They understood that you had to have that as the, the bedrock uh, for the society to function. Otherwise, yeah, but, human nature gets in the way. Right, but the two points about that. But the term was socially liberal, fiscally conservative. It wasn't socially leftist. No. So the, the liberalism you were referring to mm -hmm. is actually conservatism. Because classical it was it was classical yeah. liberalism enlightenment, yes, which was the searching and yearning of truth of Immanuel Kant and you know the great writers of the the Enlightenment. Yeah, it wasn't absolutely. it wasn't uh, uh, you know Ibrahim X Kendi. It wasn't uh, Tanisi Coates. You know that that non enlightenment. <laughs> or D'Angelo. Or, right, or Robin D'Angelo. <laughs> or you know Joy. Uh, what's her name? I, I can't even remember. Not Joy Behar. The other one, Joy Reid. You know right. the lunatics from the MSNBC. See asylum. We we the more that I study this is um, yeah. the more I find that I hate the terms right and left. Yeah. I prefer the terms. I think I talked about this on your podcast. Yeah. I prefer the terms right and wrong right. because we on the right are right yeah. as incorrect, and we are the most centrist of centrism. Yeah. When you think about the term conservative. I mean, look how it's used anywhere in, in life. Conservative investment strategy, conservative play calling, conservative behavior. You know, it's it's non-extremism uh, uh, uber alice, right. so to speak. Right. So you can't be a conservative extremist. <laughs> yeah. It is impossible. It's an oxymoron. Yeah, yeah. it's an oxymoron. Yeah. Well, what are you? Are you conservative or uh, extremist? And classic liberalism of the Enlightenment yeah. is... That kind of conservatism, totally. moderation, thinking a set of time, being considerate of yes. all points of view before making the best uh, determined decision based on the most information you have to assimilate. It's yes. the same thing. The differences are right and left, as in leftism, wrongism, but extremists on the right are uh, oh, of yeah. the same ideology absolutely. as the extremists on leftists are all violent lunatics. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and then the other thing I wanted to address is you talked about how um, we still have the churches or religion. Well, I would say the last part of that institution that's uninvaded might be the religiosity or the moral construct or structure of the average citizen. But I would I would say the big thing we've been confused by 
And I would, I would say from my own observation, I think that the religious institutions were actually taken out first a long time ago. Like if you look, I'm not Catholic, but when you look at Vatican II yeah, sure. from the 1960s, that essentially is what destroyed marriage. Yes, it did. Okay, Absolutely. That's what allowed abortion to come about For sure. in, in an institutionalized way. Uh, the the uh, child abuse scandals that was revealed in the late 90s and early 2000s, that had been happening in the Catholic Church for probably centuries. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the the corruption of the rabbinate in the Jewish community is is legendary. I mean, you know, the, the, the religion exists in the hearts and minds of the average Jew celebrating Shabbat, not in the aggregate agendas of those running the physical institutions yeah. known as the synagogues. There are some good ones. There are some not so good of ones. Course. But in any organization, corporation, charitable institution, government, the human frailties always surface after on a timeline right. and even those went out. So when you when you look and go, well, it was so easy for the left. Well, first of all, they did so much work to take these yeah. over, but I think they started with the religious institutions. I, the, that, and they're, they're making us think, no, they're finishing them, but no, they, they started with them. I, I actually, that's a really good point, and I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that what I, we're seeing now, though, is that the religious institutions, since they've been working through them for so long, now we're at the point where there's no individual morality. People no longer have a sense of being able to to practice. I mean, that freedom of religion was supposed to be what our founding fathers came here. One of the primary reasons they came here to, to create that, uh, both freedom of and from religion. But I think now we're seeing, uh, instead of people wanting to have this sense of uh, freedom from religion, it's uh, become militant against religion. Well, against certain religions, but one of the brilliant things about a cult is it's a religion in disguise. Yes. Without the uh, freedom of choice a religion entails. The difference between a religion and a cult is you are free to always leave a religion. As mm -hmm. a Jew, I am free to convert away from it, out right. of it. Yeah. And as a result, Judaism must always do its best, and I must always do my best to find a... Uh, a fidelity between the the scholarly works and the moral behavior. Right. And in Judaism, unlike others, I think this is always the advantage of Judaism, you're encouraged to question. Yes, Because you are. the word Israel itself means to challenge God. Yes. Which is a very interesting, you know, you know uh, kind of construct there. Yeah. Because in Judaism, the religion and the ideologies get stronger the more they're questioned. Yes. Um... In in uh, Christianity, isn't it? it with, uh, sorry, just one interesting point about that. That's true of any truth, right? Yeah, it, it, yeah. and it's true of uh, <clears throat> the science, science, yeah, the science, yeah. science. Uh, with cults, you are not allowed to leave that. Okay. Now, then look at how there's an adherence to the religion of Black Lives Matter, and you're not allowed to leave it without deplatforming, exile. Destruction. Yeah. Look how uh, the global warming ideological religion, you're not allowed to leave it without right. the same social and uh, financial penalties. Sure. And, and so the very people who constantly made that argument for my body, my choice, against corporations, as we talked about earlier, and right. read the labels, eat organic, are now the ones promulgating a religious ideology upon us yep. that is has all the rules of the Jonestown cult or if you will a street gang which means if you leave you die yeah yeah no that's that's so true 
Yeah. I I think about how uh, they, when they first, the communists first came to this country and they went into New York City and they went after, they were trying to, you know, go into the ghettos to convert people. And I use the word convert. They're proselytizing communism, Marxism. And they went after the Italians and the Irish and they, they wouldn't have any of it because they said it was diametrically just opposed to their religion, Catholicism. And it, they went after the Jews who were so desperate to assimilate and many of them did. And they jumped in and they, that there's actually a great uh, documentary on this called Arguing the World. And it was about the rise of the New York intellectuals. And, you know, and by the way, that what you just said is mm-hmm. the fascinating, one of the fascinating answers as to why Jews are liberal. Mm-hmm. Because Jews had the Shonda Fertigoyim kind of mentality of always feeling shame yep. to promote and protect their ideology. And we saw this last year at the Pogrom in, in the Fairfax district where no rabbi came and defended Judaism yep. because they wanted to be liked and loved. And instead they assimilated to the Black Lives Matter quasi-race uh, uh, Marxist ideology, or should I say um, uh, uh, proto-Marxist ideologies, yeah. you know, because it's a new version of. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I, I, that brings me full circle to what, what I see happening now is just this lack of uh, adhering to people's principles because they, in, they, I just see what I really see as a pandemic of cowardice. People are afraid to, I, I think it's a combination of people not having convictions and morals and anything to stand on and then people being afraid to defend them. All right, well, that's what demoralization means. I have morals. I've been demoralized yeah. from them. <laughs> exactly. I have lost... Connection with thou shalt not murder, steal, right. uh, you know, lie under oath, you know, take thy yeah. words aim in vain and proselytize cult-like behaviors. Right. Uh, you know, um, it, it's all part of that and it's all deliberate. Now, you talked about how, um, and to wrap this up, yeah. sort of a final point, you talked about how the most uh, critical issue to you at the moment is election integrity. Yeah. Very quickly, go through a few solutions that you see needing to be implemented to have voter integrity well i think we could start with some id i don't know when i go buy kombucha i get carded so i don't know why it is that i don't need identification to vote i think that would be a really really good start um i personally think that we should go back to paper ballots there is no reason this needs to be you know certainly these machines do not need to be hooked up to the internet i can't understand for the life of me what the purpose of that is uh, Other than cheating. Uh, no, right, no. yeah, exactly, to, to point out the obvious. But there's no reason they need to be hooked up to the internet. And I don't even think that until we can figure this out and have real sanctions against it, why not just go back to paper ballots? I mean, to me, that would really you know, rectify most of the problem. If people had you know, voter ID, so we are only allowing American citizens to vote, American citizens who are alive and of legal age, and we're, tri- uh, I think that's called a hextupoly, you know, six times checked for the DMV to get a real ID uh, driver's yeah. license, you know, yes. or, or the real ID ID, yes. the one with the real ID uh, extra protections that they had to implement when they started giving driver's licenses right. to illegal aliens. So, exactly. yeah, I would also have always said that, well, remember when... Um, uh, we won, and that's in finger quotes, won the war in Iraq, and they did an election, and they uh, dipped the everyone's finger in blue ink to make sure they didn't vote multiple times. I said, yeah. why not? Yeah. If it's good enough for a, a third world crap hole right. like Iraq that they realized at the time needed to have the buy-in of the population that this election had some integrity to it, 
Why not here? Why, is it, why, why do we just take it for granted that there's a three-week window where Oprah can tell you to vote? Oh, yeah, I voted early. Did you get all the information? No, no, I didn't need it. Right, uh, yeah. Trump bat. Yeah, what about Hunter's laptop? Oh, I didn't hear about that. Can I vote back? No, you already voted, you know. Exactly. So anyway, the biometric of dipping yeah. a finger after voting would pro solve the problem of multiple voting. And of course, in person, except for those who really are yeah. disabled to the point of uh, either being on uh, somewhere the else. The traditional like military. absentee ballot. And right. for the those people who want to argue that they're the same as mail-in ballots, they are not the same Universal mail-in ballot is very different. Absentee ballot, you need, most most states require actually ID and quite extensive proof that you need absentee ballot. Right, like Real Idea had yeah. multiple scrutinies yes. to receive that. And yeah. it was for students at college, military, or those truly debilitated, like people in rest homes and stuff. Exactly. So I would say those are the two, and the, the third really big one. And then maybe... You know, I, I would advocate for people really getting involved locally. I think we have a lot more power, you know, of not using machines locally. I think that that's a way for people to take back some control because that is true grassroots. If you are involved in the local politics, that does go upwards. You know, I think people make the mistake of getting so involved once every four years. At that point, the, the battle's already, you know, the war is lost, kind of, because you weren't fighting the battles at all. Yeah, the county has already elected the poll workers to be teachers' union exactly. members. The county boards and the people determining how the county election is run are all leftists who took an interest and figured out the, the machinations rather than conservatives who just donated to their favorite candidate and hoped he won. So exactly. you're absolutely right. Well, Courtney Turner. Uh, what's the podcast called again? The Courtney it's Turner? It's the Courtney Turner Podcast. And also check out, we should be launched soon uh, in the next two weeks, is truthmatters.biz. We're on Telegram and uh, Gab right now, Truth Matters. And, and those are two social sites that haven't censored us yet. Exactly. So uh, uh, go there until further notice. I'm sure we'll all be to platform sooner or later. But Telegram, Courtney Turner, and it's spelled C-O-U-R-T-E-N-A-Y, Turner. Good job. Uh, yeah, see? Man, very yeah. smart. Uh, guys, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>